years. And it actually had a gap uh, separating the two halves of that stem. That you could see from the outside? Yeah. yeah. And the problem for the city of Chicago was that uh, it fell and killed an eight-year-old walking down the sidewalk. Okay? And from about 25 feet up. Okay? So, uh, so shorter distance than that. Well, maybe, uh, maybe about the same height as that eight-inch branch. Okay? So, the, what's happening every year that's changing those dynamics? Of that growth. What? Growth? I mean, yeah, shoot growth. So more weight is being applied to the end of it. It's also putting on wound wood too. So it's, you know, it's it is increasing the curve, but uh, the load is increasing uh, on that uh, uh, on that crack. And eventually, it happened after eight years it failed. Someone walking underneath it at that moment. So um, the odd thing was that. About three months earlier, uh, City of Chicago Arborist was about five feet from that branch, removing a different branch. Okay, and Chicago is uh, at that time was very service request based, and so the the crew was there to respond to a service request about a branch touching the house, and so kind of almost like with uh, horse blinders on. You know, branch touching house. Go out, cut branch, take out, leave, go to the next branch touching house. <laughs> so, and so, the, 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 what I learned from that is as an arborist and you know, someone that looks for risk, is about being observant. You don't know the next time you're going to be in the tree. Okay? And that, that is really kind of the foundation of this, uh, that, this point that you don't know when you're going to be back looking in the tree that you have to meet at the moment. So take that as an opportunity. It doesn't mean you have to go out and you know resist to grab every single branch on the tree or things like that, but you're up in the tree and visually obvious issues uh, over a high use area, or a relatively high use area, you should take action on it. You know, and so it's about being observant. Okay? And, to you know, prevent something like that from happening. Uh, uh, a quick comment on decay is that you know we talk about uh, you know the cylinder that is formed with hot, uh, hardwood and how stable a relatively um, sound cylinder of a tree can be. It may be a cavity in the middle, but as long as you have a fairly good ratio of sound wood, that is something that can absorb in most cases still quite a bit of stress from wind movement. Stuff. And so um, I bring this up because of Emerald Ash Forest and things we learned in Chicago is that there are um, uh, sapwood decay uh, fungi that uh, typically, I don't know the species names, but typically they look like just a little white oyster shell kind of. Um, you see them in the woods all the time on like already dead trees. But we we're starting to observe them on near dead or near dead ash trees. And the problem with the sapwood decay is what? We're talking about the stresses. The sapwood decay decays from the outside in. And what it's doing is compromising that shell. That is absorbing a lot of the stresses that are occurring in movement. And so we've had ash trees with um, 
these clumps and these really small clumps on them where that, and as the largest one I observed was an 18-inch diameter ash tree where it snapped off about 10 feet off the ground. Um, it completely fractured in cross-section. The interior of the tree was solid, but the exterior was compromised in about two inches from um, the sap would decay. And it compromised that shell where most of the stress is occurring enough that even a mild wind snapped this thing off. A solid stem. Okay? And so the point of that is that when you observe, especially in the high use areas like a street or a park system like that, there's no cure for that. So if you see these kind of, like a whole myriad of these types of clumps on the stem of mostly deciduous trees, that that's, has a high potential to fail in the right circumstances. So depending on target issues and stuff like that, it's something that should be mitigated as soon as you can. The, the good thing about it is that you know, when you start seeing, it's not like you see them one day and it falls over the next day or snaps off the next day. You, know, you have time. When you start seeing the stuff coming out, you've got lead time, you know, a year, maybe even two years. But it is a strong indicator that uh, an important structural component of the tree is getting compromised. Okay? So, and I wasn't seeing a lot of ash trees. I just happened to notice the last few years of last few years at the AB in Chicago, I, you know, I, I noticed it a little bit more uh, occurring on some of the ash trees. So, great. I've been seeing a lot of sudden limb drop associated with those little oyster. Oh, okay, okay. <coughs> you know, not really precipitated by any real big wind event or anything. I yeah. The guys in the city have been seeing much of that with ash. That's believable. If you have a branch that's out a little bit more like this, it, it you, you know, the gravity, static loading, and so, uh, you have a little bit, it doesn't have to be wind movement. You have um, these little uh, decay fungi that are compromising the external, um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, external components of this branch. And just static loading may be enough stress to, uh, uh, to break it. That's very believable. Yeah. So, um, what I'm going to have you do, uh, this is very quick, and um, I'm going to have you uh, take a look at, so this is the likelihood matrix. And if you look at the first column that we left blank, likelihood of event, what you're going to do is compare for each of your three combinations, likelihood of failure against likelihood of impact. I have striking the target, but likelihood of impact. Um, I also have moderate, or I should say medium, under um, um, likelihood of striking a target. So you've got likelihood of failure filled out and likelihood of striking a target filled out. With that information, go ahead and determine the likelihood of that event happening. 18-inch branch falling, striking a person. 18-inch branch falling, striking the picnic table. 8-inch branch falling and hitting a person. Those three combinations. What are the different likelihoods? Okay. You can kind of guess probably where you're going to all end up on this one. What, what do you have? Did, uh, did anyone have somewhat likely? Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> That's always good, actually. Don't, uh, 
Don't change that answer. Um, um, what was your, uh, for how many, or which one? For all three of them, actually. Okay, so what did you have for likelihood of failure? Uh, possible, on all three of them. Okay, then likelihood of striking a target? Uh, very low. Yeah, so that would come, possible and very low comes to unlikely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I thought you said you had somewhat likely. Right. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> we changed the yeah. Honest guy, I'm going to hire you. <laughs> so, so, did anyone else have somewhat likely? What? You did? Okay, what was your, uh, for which one? Okay, 18-inch scaffold hitting the, the uh, picnic table, okay? Fixed target, so greater likelihood. What did you have for likelihood of failure? Possible. Possible? Probable. Okay, <laughs> you. Uh, probable and then likelihood of striking the target. Okay, so uh, probable. <laughs> that's unlikely also. Okay, that, that's okay. It's, uh, um, so did anyone else almost get somewhat likely? You did? <laughs> I'm going to clobber you. No, go ahead. What? 18 inch hit the table. Okay, so what was your choice? Possible and likelihood of impact was what? High. Okay, so high. Okay, so do you see how uh, live fills uh, bumped it up to somewhat likely? Okay, so you had possible, like probably most people here, uh, um, and somewhat likely. Now, um, if that fell, high, high may be a little bit high, that's just my own opinion, but uh, it, it could fall, and it was definitely oriented a little bit toward the picket table, um, and someone mentioned the, the wind uh, as a, a potential directional issue, um, so that's okay. I mean, it's actually good that we see it um, and, dis and discuss it. So, uh, let's see. Did I have to do all three of them or just the first one? All three of them. Okay. Um, did anyone else besides uh, Phil have someone likely? Okay. Well, just real quick, what was your. Uh, the 18-inch uh, bridge, okay, where I had probable likelihood of failure, and then also moderate chance of striking the target. Uh, the picnic table? Yeah. Okay, so that's becoming the, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because, you know, we're concerned about humans, but what actually has like, typically the highest risk of getting hit? That Structure. Right. So, and then what was your? I actually the same. Same, okay, good. Um, uh, let's see, so for that first combination, uh, okay, so now, because you filled out likelihood of failure, the likelihood of the event occurring, and you have consequences, you have all the information to do the risk rating. Okay, so now I want you to take those three combinations of information, likelihood of event against consequences, and come up with a risk rating. Low, moderate, high, or extreme. I'll tell you right off the bat, what do you see with unlikely? Yeah, anytime you come with a combination of unlikely, your risk rating, regardless of the consequences, is going to end up as low. 
So, so um, go ahead uh, through all uh, three of them. For the people that had uh, somewhat likely, did you come up with something other than low? No, did you have a little, little bit? Did you have moderate? I got low. Okay, so even, do you see what happened there? Is that even though uh, a couple people came up with somewhat likely of the event happening, uh, against the consequences, the, um, um, the likelihood of the event happening against the um, uh, consequences is going to be low. Is that for all of them? Oh, because somewhat likely is against a picnic table. So the consequences, what do you have for consequences for that picnic table? That determined. What if, that would, you know, if you had somewhat likely and it was the person was the target, what would happen? You would change it to a moderate risk rating. But because someone likely hitting the picnic table, but the consequences were going to be lower than, say, a, a human being hit, everybody in the room ended up with the exact same risk rating for this tree. Okay. Now, you're all probably going, so what? <laughs> so what? Uh, I would blame you. The, um, the importance of, uh, there's two things that are important here. We're going to talk about mitigation here in a second, then we'll, uh, we'll stop for uh, a break. Is that for that tree, when I first went and looked at that tree early this morning, I, one, I thought we are going to see a lot more problems. Okay, And I actually thought it was going to rate out as moderate or high. Um, but when you really start looking at it and comparing it against the likelihood of hitting uh, a target, identified target, it became pretty clear when we were out there that you know, more than likely these ratings are going to end up pretty low, okay? And that's, uh, that's unfortunate for as an exercise, but it is uh, hard uh, at times to get, you know, I'd be surprised if half the class got this tree at moderate, okay? It's great that some people did, because it just shows that there's, you know, difference of opinions, and that's perfectly fine. Um, in the end run, the risk rating is the same. Okay, now, the importance of the risk rating, at least maybe not as a tool for you, but the understanding of it is that on that tree, there's certain elements of the tree that uh, uh, could rate out higher than other elements of the tree. And so within the tree, because you're evaluating these three different combinations, if one rated out as low, another combination rated out as low, and the third combination, whatever it was, rated out as high, you've just identified the highest risk issue for that tree. Okay, you understand that? Okay. So the overall risk rating, uh, whatever is the highest risk rating on that tree, that's the most problematic issue you as a manager or assessor or owner of the tree should contend with. Okay. So the risk rating allows you, the overall risk rating allows you to identify the highest risk of all the issues you've identified on that tree. The composite risk rating, which is the highest risk rating of all your combinations, uh, so for all of you, it's low. The highest risk rating for that tree, it, again, is the highest risk rating combination that you come up with. Um, now, that tree, if you use the exact same method on other trees in this park, You've got a uniform process of comparison. 
So if this tree rated out as low and another tree rated out as moderate for or yeah, moderate for risk, that tree with moderate risk using a uniform application is the highest risk issue in the park. Okay? And so it allows you to prioritize the, uh, uh, the trees within a system. Okay? So it allows uh, the individual issues within, within the tree to be compared against each other, and it allows the tree to be compared and put on a prioritization against the other trees that you're managing. So it allows you to prioritize that. Okay? The last comment on this will be about mitigation. Does the risk score tell you what to do? No. Does low mean we don't have to do anything with this tree? No, it does not. The mitigation on that tree may vary between everyone here. What would you do with that tree now that we've looked at it and came up with low risk rate? What, what, what would you do with that tree? What? Yeah, crown cleaning maybe. What would you do with that 18-inch stem? If anything, probably would not do anything. Would you cable it? Probably not. Is that going to be contributing for the next 20, 30 years? Probably not. What I mentioned about that earlier is that it's it's lower risk than I would have anticipated. Would you do more uh, arboriculturally to it? Probably not. Besides crown cleaning, it would maybe do some end weight reduction on that. Maybe you would certainly take out the eight-inch dead branch. Okay, eliminate that as an issue. Uh, and possibly, what else would you do? Maybe not as a mitigation, but yeah, monitor list. And what we do with monitoring is that just may mean that it gets a more uh, uh, um, the interval between inspections is going to be narrower than rest, you know, trees, other trees in the park. So, how often would you inspect that tree if it was on a monitor list? After pruning it? Every two, two. Yeah, do you think every year is excessive? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, every year, if you have, remember, we're talking about one tree, but if you have 400 trees on a monitor list, can you inspect 400 trees every year? Maybe, maybe not. It's specific to your program. But if you had 400 monitor trees and you monitored, it's reinspected them on a two-year cycle. Is that workable? Is that you know the only way it can be informed on it is if you have 400 monitor trees, you inspect them uh, one year, and then the next year uh, you have 10 of them fail. Okay, maybe your inspection interval has to be narrower or something. You know, so the failures do help inform on how critical. Um, your, your response needs to be, whether it's reinspection or, uh, or arboricultural work. So, let's, um, so the big thing there again is that the tree can be compared against itself, different issues uh, within the tree, and then that tree put on a spectrum against all other trees in the park. There's, uh, this tree is in the lower part of that triangle. Even though it looks like it does, it's still at the lower end of that triangle. And I'm sure if we spent a day or two walking around here, we may find a few that are in the high, maybe, maybe in the extremes, but the bulk of the trees are going to end up in this low system. And that's, again, the reality of managing risk is that, are we wearing hard hats every single day we're out walking around? Just as a residential person. Yes. No. 
Oh, you do? Well, you got other issues. No, just walking out, walking out of your house down the sidewalk. You oh, wear a hard hat. Yeah, no, just what? Okay, on the job. That's okay. That's good. I meant just in general because it doesn't happen all the time. And on the job, that's a good safety precaution. And that's that's appropriate. But are we running, walking down the street like this? Going no. The, Branch failures don't happen. One, they don't happen that much. They're usually associated with what? Storm and high wind events. And so it's about being called and approaching it in a calm fashion, using what we can, our observations, and if we can prioritize some trees against others, focus on the ones that are at the higher end and managing everything else. Okay, so great. Uh, so is this color coding uh, <coughs> directly with the ALARP triangle? Well, I did that on purpose. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, green, yellow. Yeah. I tried to uh, uh, mimic it, it uh, but that's my own doing. I have a copyright on that triangle, so it's uh, uh, I was trying to mimic it so that it's easy to convey the messages. So. So let's take uh, 10 or 15 minutes uh, here and we'll finish up uh, the last two lectures.